From the studios of Teeing It Up in the, in the Swamps of Jersey, not the Homps of Jersey, I don't know what the Homps are, uh, Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, July 13th, the year 2020. We're five events in to the PGA Tour's restart, which means that some of your fantasy picks have been really good, and some of them have been really bad. And if you had money behind it, then... You are looking for uh, ways to recoup your losses. So to help us do that, we will bring in a nominee who is a finalist for Daily Fantasy Sports Writer of the Year and the senior golf writer at Rotowire, my former colleague, Len Hochberg. Hello, Len. Welcome to Teeing It Up. Jeremy, thank you. Wow, I'm I'm supposed to help people with money. Boy, that is a lot of pressure, but uh, I am happy to be here. You know what's funny about that, Len? And and I know we're going off off topic here, but but I think this is fascinating, right? So, you know how they say that weathermen have the easiest job because they can be wrong and, and keep their job? <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like fantasy and gambler uh, writers should have the same freedom and yet if we make a bad pick or a bad suggestion we get the wrath of it it makes no sense to me we should be treated the same way as meteorologists um yeah and they and they have better clothes than we do as well uh, <laughs> but uh you know it's a fine line and I, and I and i really want my picks to to be spot on every week and I, and I do my due diligence uh, every week to try and make sure they're right. But there are 156 guys in the tournament. And, of course, only one is going to win. Um, you can certainly have guys finish in the top 10 or even top 25, depending on how low down on the total they are to begin with, uh, to, to, to make it a successful pick. But it, it, it is very challenging, and, I, and I've grappled with it, and I've spoken to some other people who've said to me, if you do the work, if you put in the work, you should feel good about yourself. And that was very helpful to me. Yes, and, and I am with you on that. And um, look, I would have picked Victor Hovland yesterday, and I would have, or sorry, for last week, and I would have been wrong. So, um <laughs> I was almost wrong, but I, I would have been feeling the wrath of it 24 hours later, and, and here we are instead feeling the, the love of a Kyle Morikawa uh, victory and a thrilling playoff over Justin Thomas. Let's look at it this way. In the non-Tiger, Tommy Fleetwood, Francesco Molinari, Adam Scott, Lee Westwood category, these are all people who have not appeared yet on the PGA Tour. Who has surprised you most? with their good play, and who has disappointed you most with their bad play? Well, um, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has been fantastic. And, and I wondered how he would play coming out of the break because he is such a creature of habit. I mean, all these guys are to an extent. They really have control over their own lives the way a lot of people don't. They come and go as they please. They get A lot of them get on their private jets. And, you know, a lot of that was thrown into turmoil by what's been going on around the world the last three, four months. So I really wondered how Bryson, if he would be thrown out of his comfort zone, uh, during this time and he obviously has not because he has just been the, the best golfer out there uh, 
since the since the restart, uh, and you can tell because Brooks Kepka is back on Twitter uh, <laughs> taking t- taking shots at him. If we needed any confirmation how good Bryson is playing, we got it right there. So I really was surprised because I thought that he, he you know, it was just going to throw him out of whack. But obviously, he is his his mind is in such a good place. Um, that he's overcome all of that. Uh, the second part of your question, who has really disappointed? Uh, I mean, a few guys have not played well. Um, John Rahm uh, comes to mind first. And as we found out right after the restart, I, I think that we found out he really didn't do much during the lockdown, the quarantine, whatever you want to call it. And he wasn't practicing. And he came back and he was uh, behind and he has not caught up yet, and by the grace of the official world uh, golf ranking system, he is still number two in the world, but it's so close that he could be five or six or seven in, in short order. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that someone that high up and that obviously dedicated and that good was not dedicated at, at this time when so many other players were. You know what's interesting about that is he's got a chance to go to number one in the world this week if he plays well. And in golf, you can miss a whole bunch of cuts coming in, and then you change things up. And look at uh, Colin Morikawa. He couldn't find his fade. He found it on the range Wednesday, and he wins the golf tournament. And you never really know what you're going to get, which I think is why so many of us love this game so much. Here's one um, in my mind that um, I've looked at from from my perspective as a fan. What I find interesting about that, launching off of what you said, Len, is Webb Simpson is somebody who I think a lot of us could have pinpointed as being really consistent coming out of the break. Beefy Bryson, I don't think any of us knew what to expect from Bryson DeChambeau. Or from somebody like Matthew Wolf, whose swings are so much tied to timing. And lo and behold, they duel in Detroit, and it was just a case of two guys who know their games, know their swings. I'll give you a name that has disappointed me, and that's Jordan Spieth. He ties for 10th at the Schwab, and then puts himself in position at Harbor Town and shoots a third round 75. With his, with his Saturday slumbers, uh, uh, Saturday slumps continuing. And that's one that's really baffled me. I thought he may have been able to get away from it enough to kind of reboot the computer, and he still hasn't. And that's a, a situation that I'm very curious to see about going forward. A lot of guys would have made changes by now in terms of caddies or, or instructors. He's done neither. And I think it's an interesting one to watch. Is there somebody not in the disappointment category, but just someone a little down that's going to be like, oh, man, I should have, as a fantasy guy, watched out for him. This was so obvious, but his play coming in never would have had blank player on my radar. Is there anybody who who fits that bill for you? Well, there, you know, there, 
one of the things we grappled with coming out of the break was we did, or I did. I should say, I should own it. I didn't know who was. I didn't know who was going to play well. I didn't know who was practicing. And and to, to go back just a second to John Rom, I, I don't know what his personal life was like. Right. Uh, before we before I say just in a, unequivocally that he wasn't ready and what what's wrong with him, we don't know if there was a family member, a friend, how he was affected by all of this. Uh, we all have our own personal lives. Uh, I, you know, some have kids. He doesn't, but some have kids, and and they're that greatly impacts you when your kids are home. So, um, uh, you know, just to backtrack on that. But um, you know, some guys were playing well before the break. That doesn't guarantee they're going to come back and play well after the break. But we had very little evidence, very little information to go by. And one guy who was playing very well before the break was Daniel Berger. And, um, you know, and yet his win surprised me. And then after it, I go, oh, well, duh, he was playing great before the break. And he is back to being a good player, uh, a very good player. So he's the first guy that came to mind there. Uh, but it, it just uh, the, the complete uncertainty is, is still there a little bit. We're going to experience it again with Tiger this week, not to get ahead of ourselves. And finally, five, six events into things. We're finally starting to settle and see some form and be able to make more educated decisions. We're talking to Len Hochberg. He is a senior golf writer for RotoWire, focusing on the fantasy uh, side of things in this return to golf. You know, um, I have said on my show, just in terms of, of picks or who I would recommend, not not because of odds or anything like that, but just... Or, or, you know, leagues where there's prices attached to players. I was just saying in general, I can't trust Phil Mickelson. He has not shown me enough consistency to warrant me to pick him. And anything with Phil is a roller coaster ride. From a writing perspective, from a recommendation perspective, where are you when it comes to Phil Mickelson these days? Well, Phil Mickelson just turned 50 years old and fantastic that can he, he can even be out here and in the conversation at 50 years old one of the great players uh second third maybe of, of the past quarter century and and maybe top 10 all time fantastic fantastic career but he's just not there anymore and he uh, you know, he loves to hit the bombs and all that. I would think that he might be able to compete a little bit better if he took a little bit off the gas on the tee because his accuracy is really, really bad. He was up around 180th out of 215, 220 guys. And we know that accuracy doesn't count for what it used to on the PGA Tour. But when it's that bad, it's a problem. And and can he win a tournament? Yeah. Can he win? He, was, he came close at, uh, at Pebble, which is one of his go-to tracks. And Phil is really in the boat now with a lot of guys on the PGA Tour, a lot of regular journeyman guys who can do it for three, four, five, six weeks out of 35 or 40 uh, on the season, and that makes their season. It gives them their card for the next year. Sometimes it makes their career for two years or beyond. It doesn't take much to 
to sustain yourself on tour uh, as a regular player. And Phil can do that um, with just a, a handful of good weeks a year, and he's still certainly capable of doing that. Yeah, and uh, we shall see how his journey progresses as he gets to more and more tracks, which he is familiar with as this run and basically, uh, that's that's the way to call it, the sprint to the finish through the FedEx Cup playoffs for Phil Mickelson and the rest of these guys in the PGA Tour. We're talking with Len Hochberg here on Teeing It Up. Len, um, one of the things that I find fascinating is there are some guys that just fly under the radar who are such good value picks. I think Colin Morikawa may no longer be one of those after his performance this weekend. But whether it's Patrick Cantley, whether it's Xander, whether it's a Terrell Hatton, whether it's um, I'm trying to find somebody here. Hold on one second. Whether it's um, a where is this person's name? Here it is. Matt Wallace, who's 47th in the world. There are some guys that I just look at in these rankings or look at it on a on a T-sheet and think, oh my God, this guy is guaranteed to make the cut. He's going to probably at least give me top 35, top 20 if it's a part of a roster. Um, you know, we'll be good to go and I'll be good to go and I'll be able to have, um, you know, a, a, a guaranteed good player on the list. Um, who are your favorite value guys that you like once we've been out of this restart now for five weeks? Well, I look to cut some things. Um, you need your foot soldiers. You, yeah, we're all going to look at Justin Thomas and Rory and and Dustin Johnson and things like that. Um, you know, at the top of lineups and, and things. But we need our foot soldiers, and those are guys. Two things I look for are guys who make a lot of cuts, and they may not get a lot of high finishes, but they will make they they will make it to the weekend many more times than not. And I look for guys who get on the green in regulation. If a guy can get on the green in regulation, chances are he's not going to get too many bogeys. He's not going to blow up too many times. He may get an occasional three-putt and stuff. So that said, um, you know, a guy I've been looking at uh, lately, uh, of course, missed the cut last week, but another young player, one who's not in the conversation with Hoblin and Morikawa, is Maverick McNeely. And he had made uh, 14 of 15 cuts coming into last week. And he has, he has the exact pedigree that they did coming out of college, just a star, star, all-American, top five collegiate player. Um, you know, and, and he, he, he will miss a cut here and there. But when you see over time that guys will make cuts, a guy this week, I was just doing some research before coming on, Brian Stewart, journeyman guy, yep. made a lot of, a number of cuts recently. He's made a number of cuts uh, in a row at the Memorial. Those are the type of guys uh, who are going to be there. And maybe, like I just said, with Phil Mickelson, he may get his three, four, five top tens over the year. So someone like that. And greens and regulation guys, um, you know, some guys are better better than others. It's not the be-all and the end-all, but a Corey Connors makes, uh, gets on the green uh, a lot. And uh, a Paul Casey, who is a little bit better 
player, uh, you know, guys like that. Even Matthew Neesmith, uh, uh, an up-and-coming guy, he's ranked 20th in greens in regulation. I will weigh that pretty heavily when looking for some guys to, uh, to, uh, to back. We are talking with Len Hochberg from Rotowire. All right, Tiger's back this week. Tiger, to me, um, especially first week back, it's kind of a crapshoot. You really don't know what to believe. And with all these guys coming out of the break, and, and he's one of the longest along with some of the European guys, plus Adam Scott, um, who have kind of just been in who-knows mode, are you going to recommend, not, not that I'm trying to preempt your article, but with, in situations like this, somebody who plays well on a golf course, um, has immense talent, as we know someone like Tiger has, are you scared to go with them week one? Or would you bet on that knowledge and that mental um, memory bank to help put you over the edge to say, yeah, I'll recommend them this week, even though I have no evidence to go off of to uh, tell me so? Evidence? What do we need evidence for? Um, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's a lot of fun to root for. So he's a lot of fun to pick and to root for. And, and that... That should not factor into your decision, especially if you're gambling. Uh, there's no place in gambling for hard overhead. Uh, but he is just such a, a once-in-a-generation athlete. Uh, you know, it's amazing. He's played only two tournaments in all of 2020. Yeah. He played, he played Tory Pines and he played Riviera. And, yeah, he played his charity match in, what was that, late May, early June, I guess early June. But there are guys who played a lot more in the, since the restart than he's played in all, of the, in all year. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to go um, to back Tiger because not only that, not only does there, does there not seem to be any evidence that he will, he will be in form, um, even though he did play well at medalist, um, you're always paying more for Tiger. There's always a Tiger premium. Uh, you know, the odds are a little bit uh, lower on him than maybe would be for another guy with the exact same numbers. The DraftKings price is going to be a little bit higher because they know you're going to pay a little bit more for Tiger. So you've got to be pretty darn sure to go with Tiger, and I probably won't go with Tiger this week. And then you run, then if he's in contention, then then you're really at odds with yourself watching the golf. Well, I didn't pick him, but it's fun to root for him, and, um, you know, and it's, it's a tough way to watch the golf. But, uh, but uh, so I, I'd probably stay away from Tiger and, and see what's going to happen. Then there's Justin Thomas, and this happens a lot on the PGA Tour. Colin Morikawa, ironically, was, was this at Colonial after the brutal lip out. Um, there are guys that lose in really hard ways. And, and you know, JT did not hold back yesterday from saying, look, I, it's inexcusable for me to lose a lead, a, a three-shot lead with three to play. This one's going to take a little bit to get over. And then this totally unique situation of, you know, back-to-back weeks, same golf course, different setup, different hole locations. But still, it's the same tracks you'll be walking uh, which is different than a lot of people trying to bounce back the next week or whatever after a big loss. Look, we've seen one uh, aspect of this, which is kind of the Rory McIlroy 2011 blows it at Augusta and then wins the U.S. Open by 10,000 
type situation. And we've seen guys have a hard time getting over it. What's your general thought process when it comes to somebody like like Justin Thomas this week trying to get revenge on last week, but you have no idea how he's going to mentally react to it, especially being on the same track? Yeah, and being on the same track, we've never had that before. Yes, it happened once in 1957, but um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't writing then. Um, you know, he's uh, he. Uh, some thoughts came to my mind as you were asking the question. You know, normally a guy would get out of the course, uh, get out of the city on on a Sunday night, go home for a couple of days, or at least get on a plane and go to the next city or something. But he's probably had a lot more time to think because he is sitting around today and the course is closed today as they're getting it ready for practice tomorrow and stuff so he's had probably has more time to think than he normally would on a on an ordinary end of on a sunday night leaving and getting ready for the next tournament so um you would think that a world-class athlete like him uh could be mentally tough enough to be able to put a forward spin on it or at least to leave it in the past uh, probably not much of a forward spin, uh, a positive spin you could put on blowing three shot lead drills. But <laughs> these, these guys all see their psychologists to forget it and just think about the next shot and stuff. Um, so, you know, I could see him doing that. He's had a very crazy recent history at the Memorial. Two top tens, uh, three missed cuts. So he is really all over the map. And he has been kind of in recent weeks and before the break as well. He's a very tough guy to handicap. He could win any week. Yeah, and um, he, he's also somebody that, that has immense talent and comes from the golfing pedigree. His, his grandparents were 10 minutes away. He talked about going between house, golf course, house, golf course, grandparents' house, golf course, grandparents' house, you know, uh, golf course house. He's basically going in the same circle all week. And, uh, there is a lot of time to sit around, but he's also got a lot of good people surrounding him. So I think he'll be good to go come Thursday, but I, I, I don't know if I would pick him this week. It's a very interesting situation that we have not seen on the PGA tour. We're talking to Len Hochberg, senior golf writer at RotoWire. That's his job. However, every time a first-time guest comes on teeing it up, we have a tradition here. It goes back for all 12 and a half years that I've been doing this thing, almost 13, that we ask you two questions that are random. You have no idea what they're going to be, correct? Correct. To the audience, I have no idea what I'm about to say to you. Um, they're not personal. They're just random things. Sometimes we ask, what shoe do you put on first? Sometimes we ask, what pen color do you take notes in? You know, you never know what's going to come out. Um, so here's the first one. Your Twitter avatar has you in a New York Giants hat, uh, a football Giants hat. Who is your all-time favorite New York Giant and Why? Well, that, wow, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I you know, uh, I'm really an Eli apologist now. I know uh, he is quite a lightning rod, Hall of Fame, not Hall of Fame, good quarterback, bad quarterback even. There's a debate there, a much less Hall of Fame level. But, um, you know, I, I guess from my youth, the Giants were so bad for so long, and then they won in uh, 1986 season, 87 Super Bowl, 
Um, I would have to say that it would be, you know, a joint Phil Sims and Lawrence Taylor because they were they just were so bad for so long, and the two of them came along together, and just uh, anyone who's rooted for a team that's been bad for so many years and then just got good, it's just a wonderful thing. And, and there's all, you know, and I think a lot of us we tend to go back to our youth when they ask who's our favorite this or our favorite memory and, and things like that. So uh, Phil Sims and Lawrence Taylor, I know that's really not uh, going uh, too uh, off the, uh, the main track when it comes to the New York Giants, but they're it for me. And then, as I've learned from being friends with you uh, on Twitter, you are a big baseball guy. So Here's the baseball question. I had a lot to choose from. I had like a stack of 500 cards, and I spent all day yesterday, Len, trying to pick out which of these 500 questions I was going to ask you about baseball. Um, The greatest game you have seen in person. Now, this could be Little League, high school, college, minor league baseball, the pros, Whatever it is, whatever level of baseball, could have been a pickup baseball game in a park or whatever, but the greatest game you've ever personally seen and why? Well, a a couple come to mind, and um, probably the one that might resonate with the most people, um, game six of the 2001 World Series, uh, the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. Right. And I was living in Los Angeles area as I am now. And the Yankees were up three to two. And my friend here got tickets. He says, do you want to go to the game? And I'm a Yankee fan, but not a Yankee fan like a Giants fan. Uh, and... And I, want, I said, yeah, let's go. We could, you know, I think any time you could see a World Series champion be crowned, right. your team or not, there's some sort of history there and stuff. So if it's kind of your team, yeah, okay, we get on a plane and we go and rooting for the Yankees to win it here in Game Six, and that was the game they lost 15 to two, I believe. They were down 12 nothing in the third inning. It was, uh, I, I'm not one of those guys to dress up or anything like that and paint my face, or, but I did wear a Yankee shirt that day, and thankfully the fans in Arizona, they're not like Philly, uh, which might have thrown things at me. So they were very kind and considerate, but it was just the most awful experience. And then to fly home the next day, it was just, it was just the, the expectation was so great, uh, and and it was just so horrible. But I will say my favorite moment ever on a baseball field happened a few years ago. It, it involved my son, who is now seven. He was about four at the time. And at Dodger Stadium, after the Sunday afternoon games, they let kids run the bases. And it was Corey Seager jersey day. And they had only one size Corey Seager jersey. And when my four-year-old boy put it on, it was like a dress. <laughs> and he, like an evening gown. Right. All the way to the floor. And he ran around the bases. And I, you know, had my phone out going on that. And, uh, and that is my favorite moment ever uh, in a baseball uh, stadium, to see him run the bases and touch home plate. That's awesome. Um, that is absolutely awesome. I was trying to think of the best major league game I've seen offhand, and, and I couldn't. There was a, a Yankee game that they won um, in 
It wasn't a walk-off. It was some some late-in-the-game comeback, but I can't think of the details right now offhand. But my greatest memory, which, which your second one brought to mind, is my dad won the company softball league when I was like six or seven years old, and I went to the championship game. So I didn't realize that there were etiquette or anything that that kids could do or should do, but my dad wins the title and I'm in the good game line with the opponents and then with ultimately (laughs) his teammates celebrating this championship. And uh, then we go to this place for dinner and I didn't realize it at the time. I only realized it about 10 years ago and I'm 32 now, so I'm kind of embarrassed that it took until I was 21 or 22 to realize this. But they sat us in a part of the restaurant nowhere near anybody else. It was with all the other wives, girlfriends, and kids who were there. And I, and I realized that, you know, years later, that was because we were in a bar and those people wanted to drink some alcoholic beverages. And as to <laughs> keep me in the right, right, um, they had me off to the side. Um, my mom and I, and I had some good pizza. I do remember that. The pizza was very good at this restaurant, wherever we were. But uh, that's one of the coolest uh, memories uh, of my you know, life. Personal stories, uh, as much as the big game experiences are, sometimes the personal experiences are, are just so much sweeter. Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't have any personal baseball stories because my baseball career was horrendous. <laughs> um, so I have golf stories up the gills, personal golf stories. I do not have baseball stories. Um, closing out his inaugural appearance on teeing it up, Len Hochberg from Rotowire. Who do you like this week? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. That that's the hardest uh, that's the hardest question uh, to you know to pick one guy um, out of 156. But let's see. I, you know, I don't think it, I'm not going to pick Morikawa, even though it, gosh, he looks so great and all that. Because well, why is it hard to win twice in a row on the PGA Tour? Because it's hard to win once in a row on the on the PGA Tour. So. Um, Rory just hasn't been there. I'm not going to pick Tiger. I'm not going to pick Justin Thomas. You know what? Patrick Cantlay. Patrick Cantlay was not doing anything for three rounds. He really came on strong on Sunday. I think the golf course is going to be tougher this week. Uh, at least they told us it's going to be tougher. And I think he is uh, will be better uh, in comparison to the field on a, on a tougher golf course. So uh, Patrick Cantlay, uh, the defending champion. There you go. Would be two-time defending champion and I believe would be the first uh, player to defend this championship since... Tiger, though I might be wrong on that. You've probably done the research. I'm trying to do this by memory. Yeah. Well, um, I know Roger Maltby. Roger Maltby won in 1976. He did not repeat. <laughs> he also lost the check, or was that a different right. one that he had? That's a wonderful. That's a great story. Yeah. Yes, that is one of the all-time great stories. Um, uh, has anybody won back to back since? Tiger, the answer is no. Tiger was the last to do it, 99, 2000, 2001. Len Hochberg is the senior, not, not well, he is seasoned uh, from having done this for a while, but he is also the senior golf writer at Rotowire. Um, 
And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Len Hochberg, L-E-N-H-O-C-H-B-E-R-G. And uh, he was a finalist for Daily Fantasy Sports Writer of the Year in the past, which is a really cool honor to get as somebody who was also once a uh, finalist for the Best Golf Writer of the Year Award. So I know how much that means to you. And uh, thank you for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I really appreciate it. Jeremy, I had a wonderful time. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.